Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, one of the things about when we see what Christ has done and he suffered for us, it should be very loud to us in a sense of we don't need to continue in that sin. And this is a pretty graphic example, but I think that it hits it right on the head. And as I read it, and Wearsby's the one that really came up with this in his book, and he talked about it's like if our child, and I know this is, I hope this doesn't hit very close to home to you guys, but if your child was murdered by somebody with a knife, okay? They're murdered by somebody with a knife. And what you choose to do is you keep that knife on your mantle or somewhere in your house where you can see it all the time. None of us would do that. That would be sick. That would be one of those things that you're crazy to produce. Why would you want to see that pain all the time? The thing that took your life, the life of your child, why would you want to put it up there and, and just keep it there right in your forefront of your mind? Something that's it's been done and you're continuing to remember it. And he brings up that example because then he puts it right back in our court and he says, well, your sin, if you keep doing that, what has God already done? What is Jesus Christ? He says he's suffered for us already, right? So it's like us taking that knife or that sin and just putting it up there on the mantle when we continue to act out on that sin. He doesn't deserve that. But it's one of those things that he's already died for that sin, right? He's died for it. It's done. It's over. But yet we continue to play in that sin. We continue to act out on that sin, just bringing it right back there or taking it back off the cross that he's already nailed it to the cross. And that's why when you get into these scriptures, anytime you're talking about the sin and what God has done and what Jesus Christ has suffered through, we look at that and it should be one of those things that that's why I don't want to continue in sin. It's because it's already been taken care of. I shouldn't be continuing. I'm no longer a slave to that sin anymore. I'm a slave to righteousness because of him. And I don't want to keep that on that mantle, right? I don't want to keep that up there. And so we don't ever want to keep that murder weapon around. It would just be, it would be a sick thing to do. And unfortunately, that's what we do when we continue to play in that sin, when we don't get rid of that out of our lives, when we allow him to take over and completely wipe it out. And so what he says, he says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. And now what he's going to do, he's going to talk about, this is what it looks like to cease from sin, is you arm yourself and you go into the same mind as Jesus Christ. The same mind as Jesus Christ. Therefore, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Talking about Jesus Christ. That he no longer should live, in, live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Because that's what we see. Jesus' mind was what? To live for the will of the Father, wasn't it? That's why he's always retreating to go pray. That's why he's always chasing after the fathers because he's going back there because he's staying in the will of the Father, right? I mean, there's times that we see Jesus. He would love to divert from the will of the Father because sometimes it gets really hard to walk in the will of the Father. I mean, one of the key ones I'm sure is coming to your mind is when he's, in Gethsemane, when he's having that prayer in Gethsemane in the garden there and he says, can you take this cup? Is there any other way this can be done? Can this cup pass from me? You know, but he goes, no, but it's your will. I'm going to keep going with your will. Even though it is hard, it has the best results in the end, doesn't it? And so we arm ourselves. And I like how it uses that arm. It's like, get, get ready for battle, guys. We'll talk about that in just a little bit over in chapter 5 because we're going to talk about the devil and how he's like that lion and he's seeking after and he wants to devour us. But arming ourselves, this is a battle. It's a thing to be taken very serious. 
And it's hard in the United States to take it very serious because we're not challenged every single day. We're not having to actually lay our physical life on the line because of what we believe in Jesus Christ. It's just an honest truth. Now, there are times, though, in the, in the United States where we do have the opportunity where we might be persecuted in the sense of, hey, you might lose your job. If you want to stand for what God's asked you to stand for, you might lose it. If you're going to go do some ministry or something, you might be persecuted because people don't understand it. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. The world doesn't get it. But it's arming ourselves because of this battle that we're in, and there is going to be suffering, there's going to be persecution. And at this time, Peter is trying to warn them, hey guys, there is a fiery trial that's going to be coming, and I want to prepare you guys for it, for what's going to end up happening. And so here's how we're going to deal with sin. You have to arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. And then he goes on in in verse 3. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, reveries, and drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. So that's one of those things that, hey guys, you know what? We've invested enough in sin, haven't we? We've done enough of that. There's been enough investment there. Now we need to stop that, close that account, move on to the next thing that God's brought us to, this newness of life that he's raised us in with him, right? So that's when he's saying that, he's like, guys, don't do, it's not just talking about a Gentile people or a people group. The Gentiles basically, in this, in this sense, is talking about the unbelievers. So that we should no longer live in the rest of the time in the flesh for the lust of men. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, it's time to move on. We leave that stuff behind. We no longer go back to that sin. We're over that. Think about how many years you guys have invested in, and I've talked with a lot of different people, and it's like, wow, so much regret because they wish they would have come into him sooner. So they weren't paying all that. They weren't adding into all that sin and all that time. They weren't investing all that time in there. They would rather have invested all that time into the Lord. And you younger people in this room, listen to when the adults said that. I'm a product of one of those people that took advantage of what people were telling me. I'm like, okay, there's so many older people that are telling me this. That they have so much regret. They wish they would have followed God sooner. I mean, they were raised in Christian homes too. But they wish they would have fallen in love with Christ and completely given him their life in total sooner rather than dabbling in all these sins along the way and having all this regret and these consequences that have followed. And I thought, okay, there's so many of these guys telling me this. This is probably something I should key into. And it was a good thing. And I praise God that he put so many people in my life and he showed me the other route that I could go. And I chose sooner than later to just give him everything and let him take control of my whole life. There's still a sin struggle, of course, because we still live in this flesh. But there is this mindset, this changing of the mind, this renewing of the mind that's taking place where it's like, you know what, I don't want to have that. I don't want to pay to that what, what the unbelievers are that's outside of Jesus Christ. So it's time, guys. If you haven't made that time in your life, it's time. It's time to break from that. He's given his life, right? Don't treat that crucifixion as a nothing. And then he's brought you into this new life through the resurrection, and praise God for that, right? Verse 4. So don't walk in those things. Don't go back to the old ways. And it says, in regard to these in verse 4, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dispensation, speaking evil of you. So you guys have all had this happen. You're running along, you're doing drugs with your friends, or you're just going out and you're having fun with them. And this is all pre-Jesus, okay? I'm just saying, this is BC, okay? (laughs) What's happening is that you're running with all these guys, and all of a sudden, God comes in your life. It's a huge change in your life. And all of a sudden, your friends are like, where are you at? It's Friday night. We got our thing. Or it's Tuesday night. It's our deal. Where are you at? Well, I just, I can't do that anymore. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
Were you better than us? You know, they always got to go there. What, you think you're better? No. I just, I can't do that anymore. My conscience won't let me. There's something going on in my life. And you know, as a new believer, you really can't explain like what's going on. You just know it's different. It's very uncomfortable to be in that sin anymore. And you start slowly coming out of it. Or maybe it's just the cut and dry, you're out of it. But the world keeps saying, what is your deal? I don't get it. What is your problem? Why won't you come back and hang out? Like, did I do something wrong? And they want to make it very personal. It's like, it's not a personal thing. I found Jesus. I found Jesus, and he's rescued me from this lifestyle. And they say, well, what was wrong with our lifestyle? And that's when it gets into this hard deal. And, you know, in regard to these, they think that it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood. That you're not running with them all these things you used to do. Like, what happened? And they will give you account, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And so it goes on and says, guys, don't worry about what's going to happen there. It's hard. Because you know what? You're probably going to lose all your friends. When you fully give your life over to the Lord and you stop running with those people and running with the world, it's done. It's uncomfortable for both sides to be around each other. And so it's done. And you have to give up a lot. And it may be years, 40 years, 50 years, whatever it is that you've been spending this time with these people and they're good friends to you and all of a sudden, and they've done a lot of nice things for you. They've been there for your kids. They've done a lot of these neat things, but it's like it's a cold cut. And I'm sorry. And it is a hard thing for him. But he, and then they go on you and they start saying all these things about you. They go against you now. They become your enemy. And God just wants you to let you know he's got it. He's the one that's going to deal with it. It's not your job to deal with it. He's the one that's going to deal with it there in verse 5. And then verse 6. In verse 6 it says, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Now this verse, and we talked a little bit about this last week, when I was talking about Sheol and uh, Jesus going down and t- talking to him and preaching to him, and you guys, I don't know if I mixed up your minds or you know, confused you through that, but this is one of the other verses that people will take, and they'll say this is one of those evidences that the dead were preached to, that Jesus went and gave them the gospel, because of course they didn't know Jesus Christ. They were looking forward to Jesus Christ. They had faith. It talks about that in Hebrews 11. And then Jesus went and presented himself to them in the sacrifice that he had done for them. Now, in this verse, I tend to believe that it doesn't go that route because of the context of it. And I see that for this reason, Peter's just talking about the people that were alive and who are dead now. And for this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead. So speaking, those who are dead now, okay? And talking about those and, and just reminding of the ones that have already gone through it that they may be judged according to men in the flesh but live according to God in the spirit. The world is not going to like how a Christian lives their life. They're going to hate it. Don't worry about it. You know, God's the one that's going to bring your spirit into the right place, isn't he? Don't worry about what's going to happen there. And it's one of those things that we know. We know that. We can come in here Sunday morning, we can talk about it all day long. Yes, I know I'm not supposed to let the world bother me. I'm not, I, I know that God's the one that can take away, and you know, he can give, and I know it's all in his control. But then when we get out there and we go into work and we get challenged with something, like, hey, what do you think about this new drug? It's totally, it's legit. I've been looking up this new one that it's completely legal, but it's like the worst hallucinant you could ever smoke in your life. And it's something that's getting to be new, but it's totally legal here in the States. And I'm not going to say it because I don't want people going and like, oh, What? <laughs> Go check this out. It's horrible what's going on. But because of that, it's like, well, what do you think about that? How are you going to come against me on that? It's legal, right? And we walk away from that, and the world's like, no, 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 no. The laws say this, so I can do it this way. And you're like, no, <laughs> look at what God wants for your life. Look at what he wants. He wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants to be sober in him, right? And we're going to go right into that later on where he talks about being sober. All right. 
verses 7 through 11. Verses 7 through 11, it says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have a fervent love for one another. For love, it will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever. Amen. So what he goes into now is he's talking about the service. And he goes back, and we, we've already hit this a couple times on how to deal with each other, right? This is the thing with Peter. It's very serious. And we know, and I've talked to you guys about it before, with John 17, it's, it's a deal with Jesus Christ as well. What does he pray for? Unity in the church. Unity for the believers in the future, right? It's a very big deal. It's a very big deal. So he, stops, he steps right in and he says, but at the end of all things is at hand. Like, it's getting serious, guys. It's getting serious. So let's sober up. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And I think it's interesting because what ended up happening is that Peter is almost speaking through himself here and what happened with his work with the Lord. Do you guys remember what happened with Peter in the, in the garden? What, what, what happened with Peter there? Not in the garden, but good. It was right after that. He goes to pray with them, right? Jesus takes his disciples in there. Yeah, I chops an ear off. That's right. Okay, before that. <laughs> it's just Jesus and the disciples right now. No, nobody's after him. Yeah, you were close. Good job, Jerry. <laughs> So he goes in there and he goes to pray with the guys, right? He brings his disciples in there, but then he takes the three, or Peter and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, with him a little bit deeper into the garden. And then he goes a little bit further from them, right? When he's praying with them, before he even goes away from them, he tells them something. He says to them in Matthew 26, in verse 38, he says, Stay here and watch with me. Stay here and watch with me. And then over in Luke, he also says, and he adds another part, and he says Don't, that you won't fall into temptation, right? So he's asking them the same things what Peter's talking about right here. So Peter, out of everybody, should know what he's talking about here because this is his, his deal with Jesus. In the end of all things is hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. The end of all things seemed to be at hand for Peter when he was about to lose his Savior, right? When they're in the garden. And he says, be serious and watchful. Now, he wasn't saying be serious and watchful in researching how the end's going to come or studying how the end's going to come or evangelizing to make sure everybody's brought in or, or sleeping, making sure you get enough rest for the end time. He wasn't talking about any of that, was he? And those are good things, but I would just encourage, too, that you can go too far to where you become the planning committee as far as Jesus is concerned in his return. You start planning on how it's going to happen. No, this is, this is the way it's going to be. We're planning for him to come back. We're on the planning committee. I would encourage, rather, to be on the welcoming committee, right? It's good to know that stuff. And within Calvary, we love knowing that. We love talking about what's going to happen and seeing the things that are going on right now. As it's exciting. It's like, yes, he's coming soon. So we can look at that. But the end of all things is at hand. So what do we do? We get serious, guys, and we're watchful in our prayers. Serious and watchful in our prayers, not in anything else that he's saying that we need to be serious and watchful in, except for our prayers. And Peter knows this because he failed at that, didn't he? He failed at that in the garden. He fell asleep. He wasn't being watchful. 
He fell in, and then what happens after that? He fell into temptation, didn't he? I'm really curious at that time if Peter would have taken God or Jesus Christ serious and he would have been watch, watchful and serious in his prayers as Jesus went on, what would have happened to Peter? What would have happened? Would he have denied Jesus Christ? Would he have fallen into that temptation? Would he have tried to stop the guys coming in and chop the guy's ear off? Or would he know this is God's plan because he stayed there and he talked with God the Father and he was in the will of the God the Father and he knew it. There's a lot of speculation. I'm not saying any of that wouldn't have happened. I'm just curious because if he's here now telling us after he failed at it, now he's encouraging us and saying, you guys, when, it gets, when it's down to the nitty gritty like it is now, when the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious about your prayers and watchful in your prayers. Being watchful is just, it's knowing, it's, it's being ready for what's going to go on, it's being active in what's going on. Being watchful, just like a watchman, and we've gone over that before. And he goes on and he says, but of all, uh, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, right? When you see it's getting to the end, you know the thing you need to maintain is make sure you have fervent love for each other. Like love that goes out there and grasps. It's like something that's just so heavy in, in once, and I just watched Back to the Future, that's why I said heavy. But <laughs> something that's so serious that you're longing to have that love for one another. And then he goes on, and I love this next part, because then he says love will, multi- will cover a multitude of sins, right? Now, love is what a believer should have in his life more than anything in his life, right? And that verse, John, if you guys want to look there, we'll have it up on the screen, John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give you to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay, when somebody walks into a church and you guys can't stand each other, guess what? You're not representing a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. It's a serious deal. If you guys can't love each other, are you a disciple? It's a hard-hitting verse right there, isn't it? And not only that, but what are you going to be representing? I mean, that's what most people, and you guys got to watch, especially the younger generation. Younger generation has a lot of different groups they can be involved in out there, guys. And a lot of safe groups too, right? I mean, there's a big push right now. Like, it's, everything goes. It's all, we're safe. We're not going to judge you guys. Come and hang out with us. We're going to have some fun. And we're going to do things together. But what ends up happening in the end? See, if, we, if we, our church here doesn't have that love, what he's talking about there, we're just another one of those groups. And I'll tell you, the younger generation, why, would they, why do they want to be a part of that? They have something better out there. They have something that keys more into what they want to be involved in. And if it just is problems and they hear their parents talking about this person when they go to lunch, like, can you believe what this person came up and said to me at church? You know, or, or I can't believe that this person looked at me this way. Or I didn't even have a seat, or they stole my seat. I had my Bible sitting there, and they actually moved it. Can you believe that? <laughs> they must not know Jesus. <laughs> like, how dare you move my Bible? It's one of those things that you guys can watch out. The youth are watching and they want to see that love. That's what brings them in. There's, like, there's something different there. There's this love that I can't even explain. And then it goes on and it says, you know what? Love's going to cover, two, cover a multitude of sins. Now this is not saying love covers sins. We know Jesus Christ's blood is what does that. What it's talking about here is when you guys have a love for each other, there's a lot of stuff you're going to let go. There's a lot of stuff that you're not going to make serious. 
And I think that's one of the key things as we walk together in this life is that if we do truly love each other, let some of the things go. Not everything has to be a big deal. If you get offended, guys, just let it go. Whatever. You know what? They probably, you know, look at the better side of it. They probably just had the worst day ever. Who knows what's going on in their life right now? And unfortunately, they did treat me that way. But I have Jesus Christ. I'm good. (laughs) It's all good with him. And I know how he is with me. So, you know, I'm going to pray for that person. I want to lift them up rather than tear them down and then, you know, put this wall up between us that shouldn't be there. You know, this is not just a saying you're supposed to go out and do this as a good Christian. This is one of those things that has such a power. And now, if you guys have been wronged and you can't forgive, or if you, 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 know, you can move on with something like this, it's not just when a person comes up and says they're sorry to you. Like, there isn't things behind this that say, okay, you should love in this way, or you should let these things go only if this person does this, this, and this. Because I guarantee it's not going to happen that way. All these things you set up for another person, what you're doing is you're setting them up to fail. And then you have an even more ammo against them. Don't do that, guys. Just let it go. Let it, let it cover up, even if they're not going to say sorry to you. That's just one of those things that we walk in, and it is hard sometimes, but that's what he's calling us to. That's a fervent love. That's a fervent love, and that's what makes us different from the world. It has to come through Jesus Christ, right, to enable us to do that sometimes. So it is hard to let those things go when people offend us in certain ways. Now, number nine, in verse nine, it says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. This is a good one, guys. (laughs) Ouch, right? I worked all week long. I went to church and I talked to people. I'm good. I'm done. (laughs) Wife, why in the world did you invite somebody over today? (laughs) Like, I'm tired. I don't want anybody coming over to my house today. This is my place. I need to just go sit down. I deserve this. I don't want to talk to anybody anymore. I mean, this is just my conversation sometimes that I've had. (laughs) But I know you guys can relate, right? Sometimes it's so hard to be hospitable. And what ends up happening is that this is a reflection of God our Father. Did you guys know that? Would you say he's hospitable? Absolutely, right? There's so many neat feasts that he talks about. Even if we want to continue talking about food, that's a good place to be hospitable. He has this whole dinner plan for us. And even if you guys look over, there's a great parable in Luke 14, 16 through 24. And he talks about that. You know, he invites the people to come in. The ones he invites doesn't want to come, so he gets some people off the street. Very hospitable. And then the other thing is that the leaders in the church especially are called to be given to hospitality, aren't they? The leaders in the church especially. That's one of the qualities of being a leader in the church is to have that hospitality. If you guys want some verses to back that up, 1 Timothy 3, 2. And Titus 1.8 talks about that. Talks about us being hospitable. And it's a good thing. Why would we be hospitable? Back in this culture, we can go back and look at it. The eating with other people and having them over was a very, it was, it was like, hey, we're good friends here. You know, I'm, I'm involving you in my life and in my family, so I want to I bring you into this. And it was a very big deal. It was a very serious deal to be able to do that with them. It's the same with us. If you guys think, you know, afterwards, if somebody invites you to go out to lunch, it's like, wow. It's encouraging, isn't it? Somebody actually wants to eat with me. This is good. Not just my family, but somebody outside of my family wants to have dinner with me or lunch with me. And it's encouraging, especially, guys, for those newer people. And I would love to name off some newer people in here that I would love for you guys to go and contact after church. And go and take them out, guys. Show them that you love them. There's people that have been here a month or so that I'm sure many people don't know who they are. 
I'm not going to say their names or anything because I don't want to embarrass them, but you guys look for the new people in the church and take them out. You guys that have been here for a while, that's part of our deal. As Christians, we're hospitable to each other. Go get to know them and see what their things are. Somebody else can be praying for you in your own life and you can be praying for them. It's another connection to your brother and sister. And so I encourage you guys, be hospitable just as our God our Father is. Now verses 10 and 11. As each one has received a gift, minister it to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is a lot here. This is talking about as we minister to each other and as we have the different roles that we have, not just in the church, but in the body of Jesus Christ, it's talking about what we do. Now, each one of us has received a gift, right? You guys can go over to, there's a great part of scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 talks about that. It goes and talks about the different members, talks about things we've been given, and then also it gives an order of how we're supposed to act in church. That God gives us a certain gift, this is how it is to be used in the church. So it's not just a free-for-all, like, I got this, we're going for it, right? Like, I got the gift of tongues, I'm going to do it whenever I want to. Well, there's orders for that in the scriptures. If you've been given that gift, that is awesome, praise God, but he also calls you to a certain order in the church. And you can go and you guys can look at that in 1 Corinthians. Same with prophesying. I'd say the same with healing because we look over in James 5. And there's ways that God wants us to do that in our church. And so we follow after those things. But the cool thing is, is that he's given each one of those so we can lift each other up. It's a great thing to have those gifts. It brings us closer. You get to see God work in amazing ways. You get to praise him because you know it's not that person. If you guys know me outside of church, I don't really like to talk very much. And, uh, I mean, Doug knows this, right, Doug? My father-in-law. I, I don't like having much conversation. I mean, there's sometimes I will because it's a, it's a topic that maybe really interests me, but I just don't. I, and then God calls me to go up and teach, and I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> I don't like being in front. I don't want to talk to the people. I don't want to do what you're asking me to. It's like Moses, you know. What are you doing? Anyways, he gives the power. He gives this gift that absolutely I cannot own it into, and what ends up happening is that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And praise God that that's the way it is, that he's the one. But it has to be, it's in, let him do his ability which God supplies. That right in the middle of verse 11, you know, he goes through and he says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God, you know, maintaining that it's about God, his word. And if anyone ministers, let him do it, not in his own ability, but do it with the ability which God supplies. It's so important. I'll tell you what, you start doing ministry in your own ability, it is not fun. You're going to become a grumbler. I'll just, I'll just tell you that. You'll become a grumbler. Because it'll be about you, and it'll be about you getting hurt. It'll be about you being wore out. It'll be about you not being able to succeed in what he's called you to, depression in that. But when you go in his ability, it's a whole different story. It's like, hold on tight, because it's about to get serious. And it's about to go fast, and it's going to be fun and exciting, because you'll know it's absolutely nothing to do with you. That he just wants to use you in that way. And it's a neat thing than what he does and how he works through us. And he has each one of these gifts so we can minister to each other and be the stewards, like it says in verse 10, stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's a good deal. All right. Verses 12 through 19. This is where Peter's going to start talking about this fiery trial that's going to come. We've talked about this already. This is like when Nero's going to start hopping it up. This is when the Romans are really going to start coming against them and, and taking out the Christians because they find out, wow, this sect, 
that they thought of just a sect of the Jews is all of a sudden a bigger thing than they thought it was. And this is when it's going to get pretty serious. So he's going to warn them. He's going to talk about when this happens, this is what it's going to look like. And yes, you're going to have to suffer, but to God be the glory. So as we walk through this life and we suffer, to God be the glory. It's all about your perspective, right? It's all about the perspective and how you enter into that suffering. So let's go in verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fire trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, guess what? Blessed are you. For the spirit of the glory and of God rests upon you. That's awesome. On their part, he is blaspheming, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. If it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Verse 18, now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Now this fiery trial, with what they're going to go through, Peter explains that they shouldn't be surprised. This is, this is something you guys shouldn't be surprised of. Jesus Christ warned you guys that to follow after me, there will be persecution. So it shouldn't be a surprise of what's going to happen. This should not be a strange thing that's going to happen to you. But then Peter brings this encouragement to them in verse 13. And he says, But rejoice. Rejoice to the extent that you, are, you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you shall also be glad with exceeding joy. And if you guys have ever read the, box, or the, the book of uh, Fox Martyrs, right? Unbelievable some of the stories in there. Some, some things that just, you're like, wow, I could never go through that. I mean, there's one guy, you know, you, you talk about Jesus Christ and the suffering he has to go through, and he was cut off completely from the Father, something we'll never experience. Because if we go through suffering, even to the point of death, we have Jesus Christ to cry out to, right? There's even a story in the Fox Book of Martyrs that there's a guy that he's getting burned at the stake. And one of the onlookers was saying, as, you know, basically, he can't stand on his legs anymore because all the muscles have been burned away, and he's falling, and he's just a charred being. He's looking up to heaven, and he's saying, thanks be to God. Like, you still had that. And it's an awesome thing that you get to see that this guy, even in this torment, is rejoicing. There's so many people in there. If you guys read any of the other books, they're like Imprisoned for Christ, um, uh, Brusco, I can't remember some of the other ones. Uh, uh, there's a lot of books out there. But you read these guys' lives and you see them rejoicing in these trials. Go through Acts. Because you have that in front of you. Go through Acts and look at how those guys are rejoicing as they get put in a prison unjustly. But it's because they knew that they're partaking of Christ's suffering, that his glory was revealed and that you can be glad with exceeding joy. Not just a little bit of joy, but exceeding joy because you're worthy. You're found worthy. What a neat thing it is to be suffering for Jesus Christ. It's such a good thing, especially when you know the Savior and you're like, wow, I get to do this for you. I get to go through this and understand just a little bit. Like I'm counter worthy to do this. You bet I'm going to rejoice. This life's so short, it doesn't matter. If you are reproached, for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. So yeah, they're blaspheming God. That's the truth of it. But you know what? In your life, he's being glorified. 
You've been deemed worthy enough that he's going to glorify himself through you. Do you guys understand what that means? God, creator, Jesus Christ, absolute savior and lord of our lives, we actually are worthy enough because of what he's done to us that we get to suffer for his sake and because of us, he gets glorified. God gets glorified through you guys. <laughs> if you know your lives at all, you're like, Holy, what? <laughs> I, why? Because of the work he does, because you're not deserving, and because it is a flaw there, God takes that. So I would go back and look at the other verses about how we're supposed to act with each other. If he does that for us, guys, why aren't we doing that for each other? Every one of us in this room does not deserve to have somebody be nice. We just don't. We're mean to other people too, right? And then we come and we expect people to be nice to us after we maybe we just went after somebody else because they cut us off or did something or didn't treat us right at work. And it's one of those things just calling you to, look what he's done for you. So we walk in that same way and give that grace to other people. Verse 15, but if, let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. And what he's just talking about here is don't start saying, oh, well, I'm put in prison because of this trial I'm having to go through, but God's getting me through. When you killed somebody or, you know, and it, get, it starts pretty extreme. I mean, it goes from murder down to talking about other people. But he's, he's putting it all in that realm. Like, make sure that it's not because of you that you're being persecuted. This is, this is a Jesus thing that you're being persecuted in. You know, maybe you got caught spreading a rumor or gossiping, and now you're going to be like, oh, I'm being persecuted. <laughs> People are mad at me now. I can't go to church because it's really awkward now, but, I, you know, praise be to God. And believe it or not, some people will take that. It's like, no, you put yourself in that place. And that's why Peter's being very real with them and saying, guys, don't let it be like you're suffering for Christ when it's your own deal. Those are called consequences. Okay? Those are consequences. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. In verse 17, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins here, guys, with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? It's a bad deal for them. If God's going to start with us, then he goes on. This is where he's made righteousness. He's revealed it through us. This is where we get to glorify God and him be glorified through us. And what a neat thing. Then it moves on. And if he's going to start here and dealing with our problem and what we've got going on, how much worse is going to be for those that don't want anything to do with him? In verse 18, it says, Now if the righteous is scarcely saved, so barely saved, basically, you know, of course, it's talking about Jesus Christ, not by our merit. Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? And it's a sad story. It is. Because they're going to have to face God the Father in his wrath without Jesus Christ's blood. They're going to have to face the angel of death that took the firstborn in Egypt without that blood over the doorpost, right? It's a, it's a scary thing. It's a bad thing. It should urge us to get out there and share. Verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to the faithful creator. That's our business. That's what we do our business about. That's what Peter's talking about. As this fiery trial, as these hard times come, give yourselves over to him. Give it to doing good as to the faithful creator. He's got it. All right, we might be able to do this today. Chapter five. Chapter five. So now this is what it's going to go into. He's going to start, he's going to, he was talking with the regular believers in the church. Now he's going to shift over. He's going to talk to those that are shepherding the flocks, those pastors, the elders, the leaders of the church. And so he jumps in there and he says, 
The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you and being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, we're going to go through this. I know all of you guys aren't leaders and pastors in here, but it's a good thing to know this is what we're supposed to be doing as leaders in the church. And now there is a place for you. We'll go to that in the, in the end of it. But looking at what is it. And so Peter encourages here the pastors. And if you guys don't know, an elder or bishop is the same thing. Okay, it's the same office. You guys can look over in Acts 20, and it uses the same word back and forth. Seven, uh, Acts 20 and then verse 17 and 28. And then a bishop is, is translated as to overseer. We're going to see that in, in verse 2, talking about the shepherds being overseer. And, of course, shepherd is pastor. Okay? In Spanish, they use the exact same word. And when you call a shepherd or a pastor of a church, it's, it's, it's the same thing. So, just to give you guys a little bit of a heads up there, that's what we're talking about. Some of the elders, you know, different churches have different setups on how they run it. Uh, some of the churches are all elder run, and then they have a pastor that's been designated to bring the Word of God every Sunday, and every, you know, maybe a midweek. Then you have other churches that have a group of elders, but then there's the senior pastor. This is how Calvary Chapel runs, is that there's a senior pastor, and he has elders under him that are able to fill in and help do different things, carry him. They're like his, his strong men, like what David had. And then you have deacons, the ones that are helping out and you know, serving the tables like what it talks about in Acts, being able to serve in the church. And so that's how we have it set up here at Calvary. We have a senior pastor, and, and he, makes, you know, he, he goes to the Lord, and, and the Lord tells him how to do it and how he wants the church to be run. And uh, we see that authority in him, and so we follow after. So I'll tell you guys what. If Sean wasn't here today, I'd go off about how great a guy he is, but since he's here, I can't do that now. <laughs> We are privileged, guys. I want to tell you, after being under many different pastors and in different churches, we are privileged to have Sean as our pastor. The guy's a hard worker. And I've had a lot more planned, but I'm not going to, you know, we don't want his head getting too big. So Peter, anyways, goes on. He talks about the qualities. And what do the qualities of a pastor look like? So a pastor needs to have personal experience, right? He needs to have personal experience. And the things that he's going through, that's just how pastors work. And so what he's saying is, I'm a fellow worker with you guys. I am also an elder. That's what Peter says there. And witness the sufferings of Christ. And, and then he goes on and he says, also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So Peter had been through some stuff. He's a fellow worker that's walking close with God and growing. And like Paul encouraged Timothy over in 1 Timothy 4.15. I think we'll have that one up there. There it is. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. And that's just Paul talking to Timothy, telling him this is what it looks like to be a leader in the church. You will need to have this. You need to have progress in your life that it's evident to all. And keep going on and meditate on these things that the Lord's given you. And so leaders, it's a good thing when a leader has new studies going on, new works going on, new ministries going on. Because if the leader is not moving in the church, guess what happens to the church? The church doesn't move, Right? That's another privilege that we have. We have a lot of neat things that have happened this last year, right? A lot of neat things, new ministries being set up, new ways that we're going. Like this church is alive. It's a good thing. And it's because our leader is alive. He's seeing what God wants us to do, and he's leading us into these places. And so we are there to support and to follow after what God has called him to do. The second one is the heart. He has a heart for the sheep. A shepherd is, is one that feeds, leads, protects, cares, and loves. He'll go after that one that's lost. 
that pastor has this desire to go after him. Now, I went and I looked, and here's this article that I found. It was on uh, the, uh, what is it, the Telegraph, and I found this online, uh, telegraph.co.uk. So this is in the UK, and it's talking about, it's actually an ad out there for a shepherd. It says, are you hard enough, the article started out, it says, are you hard enough to survive as a shepherd? The weather can be awful, the sheep have a death wish, and without good dogs, you're lost. But on good days, it'll make you feel like the luckiest person on earth. And now this guy, it's totally secular where I got this from. This is not trying to relate. It was just awesome how this coincided with being a pastor of a church. And so as I read through this, remember, this is completely, this is a guy talking about what it is to be a pastor. So by James Rebanks, this is the guy that wrote this article, but it was an advertising. So in the National Trust, advertising for a shepherd for its uh, Hayford Lane farm uh, in the foothills of Snowden. This is catching the eye of bored city dwellers everywhere many of whom are wondering whether they can uh, abandon the rat race to live a different life in the unique mountain landscape. The romantic voice in my head says, great, some lost, poor lost soul can escape urban drudgery and become a shepherd. And so it's kind of like what we have here in the States where everybody's into these small houses, right? They're in the, they're in the urban places and they're like, oh, let's go off the grid, let's go live in this small house. Oh wait, did you guys know if we put it on a trailer, then you don't have to get a building permit for it? Let's put it on a trailer. And before you know it, they actually have a pull-behind trailer that's just going camping. And it's like this big thing that they've gotten, and they're doing all these videos all over YouTube about how they go camping. (laughs) Yeah, people, it's funny. So this is kind of the same thing. They want to go be a shepherd. So the advertisement job has actually become a second shepherd, uh, covering evenings and weekends and moving sheep around the mountain uh, away from the uh, ecologically sensitive areas. And so the National Trust describes an opportunity of a lifetime. You get... 11 pounds an hour, apparently. So as a born and bred shepherd, I am fascinated by the advert and the public reaction to it. Having just written a book about the trials and beauty of life of a shepherd, I am perhaps guilty of fueling such escape fantasies. But I am also a realist and can shed light on the attributes any applicant will need. You need to be tough as old boots. Imagine working for weeks on end in the rain and snow and the lambs dying of hypothermia with the difference between life and death being you and your knowledge. Even if you do your best, they still die, and you will need to keep going. The romance wears off after a few weeks, believe me, and you will be left standing cold and lonely on a mountain. It is all about endurance, digging in, holding on. You also need to be emotionally tough, because part of shepherding is things that don't... Uh, is, sorry. Because part of shepherding is that things don't just die, they are killed. Lambs are bred and sold for meat. Nature kills as well. Grown crows, certain crows they have there, hang over our lambs' fields waiting to steal the eyes of anything sick or dead that cannot resist. You may have to skin a dead lamb to use the coat on an orphan lamb to get it adopted. It's hard stuff. You will need to have studied the Welsh mountain sheep so you are not completely clueless when it comes to making key breeding and selling decisions. It takes about three generations to acquire the knowledge to be someone in the world of shepherds. I am a fairly experienced shepherd, but if I went over to Snowdonia, I would take with me a decade or more to learn. It would take me a decade or to learn and judge their sheep properly. You'll need patience of a saint, too, because sheep test you to the limit with a million innovative ways to escape, ail, or die. (laughs) For all these reasons, this probably isn't a job for someone unfamiliar to the mountain. It's sheep and it's people. The apprenticeship period for a shepherd is about 40 years. You are just a boy or a lass until you're about 60. It takes that long to really know a mountain, the vagaries 
of its weather and grazing, to know the different sheep, marks, shepherds, bloodlines, and to learn the respect of other shepherds. This isn't just a fell walking behind a fell, yeah, fell. How they say a fell walking behind sheep with a good dog friend. It requires a body of knowledge and skills that shepherds devote decades to learning. So by all means, apply for this job if you're looking for escape from your urban woes. But recognize that doing so without the right experience and skills is a bit like turning up at NASA and telling them you'd like to be an astronaut. Now that's an interesting article there. There's so many things that you read and you see in that, and it's like, wow. That's what a shepherd does have to go through, believe it or not. There's a lot of things that they have to deal with, and emotionally strong and all that is so true. It translates right, right into being a pastor. And so just I share that with you guys just to give that support that our pastor needs because of those things that he has to go through. Another thing that is not that a pastor is not is he's not a hireling. A hireling is somebody that when woes come and, and pain comes, they're out of there. They leave. And when their life's in danger, they're out. Also, pastor, and what it's talking about as we follow along here, and they don't have power trips. You know, these are the Lord's sheep that they're taking care of. They don't have power trips. And then the best one is that they lead by example. They're a hard worker. They're merciful and gracious. They watch what comes out of their mouth. They lead by example. Now, in verse 4, as it gets down there at the end, it says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you receive the crown of glory. Now, looking to please the chief shepherd, in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Let's see here. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And that's one of those focuses you really have to take. As, as those sheep come against or they do things, you really have to take that and know what I'm doing here is not in vain. And that goes across the board, doesn't it? As you guys live for the Lord, as you guys minister to other people, it's not in vain. It's not in vain what you're doing. Knowing that our labor is not in vain. And our work is to be done to the Lord. Like you guys know in Colossians 3.23 where it says that. And pastors will be held accountable. This is another thing. that will be held accountable. Teachers will be held accountable more than others. And that's over in James 3.1. Read that real quick. It says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. But here's the thing at the end. You guys knowing this now, this is one of the things that he asks you to do over in Hebrews 13, 17, being the sheep, is that the sheep are also held accountable, not just the teachers. It says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them also do with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. It's one of those things that you've got to be careful in what's going on and what you bring against your pastor. I'll tell you guys what, it takes just very few words to bring your pastor down. As pastors, we love you guys to death and we want to do everything we can because we're after God's heart for you. And there's one critic that comes against or says something against you and the enemy just uses it in us. And it'll just stir. And then you have to battle it in the mind as you go to sleep at night and battle like, wow, I, I, I love that person. Or even when a person walks away that you've been walking with for so long and teaching them, and all of a sudden they're gone. It kills a pastor when that stuff happens. That's why there's so much involved in a pastor. It's not just a job that you come to and you go visit people and you, you, know, you teach and you, you look up the Bible verses. It's one of those things your life is absolutely connected with your sheep. There's such a love and a passion there for them that when they fall, it hurts so bad for you because you're connected so, because you care for them so much. And I would just encourage you guys, be careful what comes out of your mouth to your pastor or even behind his back. Be careful. Don't let that stuff happen. Because Satan wants to destroy him, wants to bring him down. So that in the end, you know what? It's not going to be profitable for you guys. Because it, it won't be a joy. It'll just be with grief. 
And there's lots of pastors out there that are having to go through that right now. And I pray that others will know I never have to see that. So going back over here, let's, I don't even know. Let's, <laughs> we'll see here. Let's see if we can do this. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that's one of the workings inside the church is that we have the younger people, we also have the older people. And you guys know there's usually a conflict there. Older people want to maintain what's been going on for the years because that's where it's comfortable. Young people want to get excited and want to do something different and ruffle the feathers of the old people. And the old people say, you have no experience. You know, and it's like this battle that goes on. But it's a healthy church when you see both the young and the old working together to see what God wants to do in the future, right? And the way to maintain that, how do you do that? Is because you both remain humble. And it says be submissive to one another. That's not like kowtowing before each other, you know. It's being submissive, like watching what you're saying, coming under that person and seeing, oh, this is a great idea. Not automatically being like, let's go. That's not going to work. We've done that before. That's a stupid idea, you know, and discouraging. Because I guarantee if that stuff happens, guess what? Those people really don't want to stick around very long, do they? If they're always being discouraged. And so we encourage them, and that's what he's saying there, is that likewise, you younger people, you know what? Submit yourselves to your elders. Respect the elders. They do know what they're talking about. They've been here. They've done that. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed in humility. Also, the older people, be humble about it. Be humble about it. Listen to what the younger people have to say. There's a lot of great ideas out there. Six, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your cares care upon him for he cares for you. Now, here's the thing is that we cannot get to verse seven unless we've first gone through five and six. To be able to cast all your cares on him, you need to be humble. And that just makes sense. I mean, if you're going to be a prideful person, there's no way you're going to cast your cares on somebody else. Pride doesn't let you do that. If you're going to humble yourself before other people, that doesn't mean, you know, I mean, if you humble yourself, that means you can put your cares on Christ because you know he's the one that's in charge. You know he's the one that has it. If you have the pride, you can't do that because you have to be in control. And so verse 7 can't happen unless you've gone through verses 5 and 6. And then it goes on, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And we look at this and it says, be sober. And what he's asking us is to be alert, right? To be alert in what's going on. I'm trying to find these... Be alert in what's going on and also be vigilant. Be watchful because you're an adversary. And we have to take the devil very serious. Satan is a very serious deal. It's not like he just, you know, just showed up and like, okay, we'll, we'll play around with this. He's very serious. He knows what he's doing. He's smart. So we have to be sober, be controlled in what we're doing, be vigilant, be waffle. Because he's prowling around like a lion looking who he can destroy. And the thing is with, with Satan, he has great power. He has intelligence. He has lots of practice. And he has an army of demons, doesn't he? So it is an enemy to take very serious in how we deal. It's a formidable enemy that we shouldn't joke about, ignore, or underestimate. Now, in the end, we have victory over Jesus, just like we talked about over in 322 of, of this book. Um, we shouldn't be afraid because Jesus already put him under and we, already, we work out of victory like we talked about last week, right? But we need to be serious about it. We need to be prepared for it. And that's why we go through Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, where it's talking about putting in the armor of God, isn't it? And then it talks about over in James 4, 
Therefore, submit to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And the same thing, that basically what Peter's saying here. Resist him in verse 9. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Don't think you're singled out. Our brotherhood in the world are going through the same thing. Remember to pray for them. Warren Rumbrand, he remembers going back and forth in his cell, and they asked him, how in the world did you survive this long in solitude in this cell like this? He said, because I knew my Western brothers and sisters were praying for me should be hard-hitting. That's one of those things that if he thought we were praying for him, are we praying for the guys now? Are we praying for our brothers and sisters being persecuted in, in uh, North Korea right now? They have to go through horrible things. In North Korea, I don't know if you guys knew this, if they have to go to jail, three generations go through j- to jail. So if they find out a Christian, guess what? Grandparents are going to jail and their kids are going to jail with them. And there are hard work camps too where a lot of them die. So we remember to pray for them. And then moving on in verse 10, but may God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you to him. Again, guys, Peter's going back to this. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen, right? Amen. Worship team wants to come ahead and come up. We'll go through these last three verses or last four verses or three. It's three. But remembering that the things that we go through, and after he says, after you've been suffering for a while, and it even says that it's the will, you know, sometimes we have to go through that kind of stuff. Perfect, established, strengthen, and settle you. Well, the things that these bring in, the closeness it brings to God the Father is an awesome deal. If you can come out of it that way, and if you can focus on what's going on in your life at that time. Now, he goes on in the very last part of the letter that Peter talks to the people and as he brings this encouragement to the other believers. And this is such a neat thing, and this is important for us to have connections with other churches. Because right here, he brings encouragement through other ones. He says, By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is true, uh, that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so we bring that encouragement to one another. And keeping that going. And just remember, you guys, as we go through, and we're going to try to go through the rest of Second Peter in the next, next uh, two weeks that I have. And uh, we'll see what God's going to show us. But as Peter walks us through this, and God walked him through the different things, you guys can go back and research this, and I encourage you to do this. In these verses we went through, look at how Peter was with Jesus Christ and the things he walked through and what he's speaking to us right here. And just remember that as we go and we get closer to the end time, that we need to be serious and watchful about our prayers. And we absolutely need to love each other. Don't let the enemy sneak in and rob that from us. We have to stay strong. This is a battle that we're in. And it's an awesome thing because we have that victory in Jesus Christ, right? Amen? All right, would you guys stand with us and pray? Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning and just the awesome things that you're doing in our lives, Lord. We give you the glory. The gifts that you've given us that we can work with each other, Lord, and we can deal with the things that come our way, Lord, we just want to give you the glory and praise for having that work out and how you change us and you build our character through you, Lord. We just thank you for the newness of life that you've given us, Lord. We want to exalt you. And uh, Lord, as we go throughout this week, I just ask that you would show us the places we need to get involved in other people's lives. And uh, those words that we need to speak to people, that encouragement we need to bring, Lord. And uh, Lord, that we could see people come to you. What an exciting thing. We know how much you love them and the big sacrifice you've done for them. So just show us and lead us to those ones that need to hear about you and need to be encouraged in your love. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would just be able to love each other like you've asked us to here. Have that fervent love, uh, just so we would be able to forgive so easily and uh, move on uh, with what you have for us, Lord, that we wouldn't be drugged down like an anchor with that. And so, Lord, we just want to worship you at this time. 
and put you on high and just have you be the throne on the throne of our lives, Lord. We give you the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.